0: Welcome to PS, the Puget Sound podcast, where we're talking with members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, and my guest today is Sam Kaufman, a junior from San Carlos, California. As always, the Puget Sound podcast is recorded and produced by Moonyard Studio in Tacoma. Here's Sam. Sam, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Proud to be on here.
0: I'm delighted to have you. And I want to start things off by um, having you just situate yourself for anybody listening. So ordinarily, everybody would rightly assume we're in Tacoma, we're on campus, we're going about our regular lives. Uh, but of course, that's not the case. So where in the world are you?
1: Yeah, uh, definitely not in Tacoma right now. Um, I, uh, let's see, I think the last week um, I spent in Washington was over a month ago which is really crazy. Um, I I'm talked in, to somebody yeah.
0: yesterday who pointed out we're actually closing in on the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. And that I did kind of freak out at that time, flew.
1: Believe it or not. Yeah, this is our, what is it? Our last week of full classes. Um, and I'm doing it in sunny California, Northern California. Um,
0: we, yeah. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no.
1: Yeah. So I, I'm in, I'm in um, Northern California right now, about a half hour south of San Francisco, a little town called San Carlos um yep getting through the last week of classes um it's it's definitely a change definitely not how I expected to close out my halfway point through college which is also very interesting to think about
0: well and let's talk about that a little bit because I remember feeling the halfway point of college in a way that I really didn't anticipate (laughs) when I got to it I didn't think it would matter to me and then I did feel it I remember sort of thinking whoa (laughs) that's (laughs) that's the halfway line
1: yeah, it's kind of that feeling. It's I, I remember I, I uh, lived in a suite with five other people on campus, and we're all going to live together in a house in Tacoma this summer. And I remember at every step of the way through my first year and second year, we were always checking in. We're like, guys, we are, a uh, let's see, an eighth of the way through now. How does that feel? And then we get to the end of first year, and we're like, guys, we're like a quarter of the way through. And fast forward to now, I mean, it, it's, it's such a cliche, but it really feels like it has just... Totally fast forward to this point, and I'm check, I texted them this morning, and I'm like, guys, we're basically done with sophomore year. We're, we're definitely getting there. So it's a, it, it is kind of that awakening, that crazy feeling of like, wow, this, this experience is getting to a close even before I've started it.
0: And in fact, by the time people hear this, it will be the middle of finals week probably um, for us. So you'll be that much closer to, to putting a bow on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, Dad. I mean, the fact that I have to do finals in, <laughs> in a couple of weeks is is really is really funny to think about. But yeah, really, we'll be finishing it all up, trying to close out, get some closure with professors and all that sort of stuff is going to be interesting online. Um, have but you felt yeah. like
0: that transition's been okay for the most part? I mean, I know it was a little, well, not a little. It was entirely unexpected for everybody, and therefore a little ad hoc. But for the most part, has that gone okay?
1: Um, I actually have had a really good time with it. I think the transition to online classes has been really familiar. We still have in one of my history classes, the same person still shows up late. And in my music <laughs> class, the same person still leaves their mic on and eats their like turkey sandwich during our lecture. That's
0: a real faux pas.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, we still have the same personalities in our online classes. So I kind of like to think of it as that sort of there's a lot of familiarity with it. Like our professors are still kind of cracking the same jokes, uh, getting on <laughs> the same people, uh, doing the same stuff. I just can't really see them. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's kind of where the disconnect is, obviously. But honestly, I still really love all my classes. And I think our professors are doing a really good job of making that transition.
0: And what are you taking this semester? You said a history class and a music class. And what else has had to move online?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm uh, finishing out my music minor uh, this semester. I'm taking second-level RL skills in music theory. Uh, so that's super interesting trying to navigate music online. We have our RL <laughs> skills lectures recorded, which is nice. We get to view them at our leisure. Sure. Um, but otherwise, I'm working on uh, grinding out my history major. Um, so I'm taking History 200, with his, which is on um, ethics and research of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a seminar course. I learned how to research and analyze documents. Um, kind of important for my work uh, in the future. And then I'm taking a history 369, which is history of the Pacific Northwest and the West. Um, So I'm learning all about um, like the gold rush. We took a little dive into the Spanish flu as well. uh, (laughs) According to recent events, of course, I'm learning a lot about Native American history and treatment of minorities. So, um, and then I'm also uh, working on my education minor as kind of like a fifth class and we're not even halfway into the registered courses I take at school. Um, but I, I take uh, Education 292, which is um, kind of literacy in uh, children. So before I had to leave, I was tutoring once a week. And I'm learning strategies and really trying to get students thinking about reading and kind of sharpening my tools as a teacher.
0: curious to hear about how you came to all of those things, because a, a major and two minors is a pretty full slate academically. And as we've already discussed, you're not quite to the halfway point. Did you come in with a pretty clear sense that those were the types of things you were interested in and wanted to try out? Or did those evolve since you started in college?
1: I think in a way they for I think some of it I came into it. I've always wanted to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents are educators. You can see the diplomas in the back. Um, it's, <laughs> my mom's a special educator, and I'm in her office. So um, yeah, I've always kind of I've got bit by that education bug early. So that's mm-hmm. a minor I wanted to do. Um, as far as history major, I actually thought I was going to do psychology. Uh, when I first came in here. So I took, I remember I took a Psych 222, which is lifespan development, my first mm-hmm. semester on campus. I learned all about early and old age and development cognitively and physically. It was really interesting. Um, but then I kind of realized, you know, maybe psychology wasn't quite for me. Um, I really liked the professors and I kind of liked what it was about. But I realized that I kind of had a love of history that I wanted to tap into. And I thought, what more supportive of an environment to do that than Puget Sound. Um, I I really wanted to, you know, work academically in something that I knew I was interested in. Um, So that's kind of where I made that switch um, from psychology to history.
0: And one thing that I wanted to ask you about in regard to your history majors, I think history is is much maligned in a way that I think is really unfair as not having relevance to the contemporary moment, right? That, oh, what you do when you study history is um, passive and consumptive. I think there's this misconception that, will you memorize a lot of facts about stuff that happened a long time ago. Um, and even in our conversation so far, you've mentioned two things that uh, go against that notion, right? You've mentioned that you are studying um, the history of the Pacific Northwest and talking about the ways that those processes affect the contemporary moment. And you mentioned the Spanish flu in 1918, which I think everyone is learning about the relevance of that to present times. For you in thinking about the coursework you've done so far in history and the learning about history, how has that, that discipline felt to you in terms of understanding the impact it has on the present moment and on active engagement with the world?
1: I mean, there's that, um, all famous phrase, you know, history does repeat itself Mm -hmm. and it's a very contested phrase academically. Um, Is it? uh, Yes. A couple of my professors, actually all of them, um, (laughs) just say it's completely false in a way. Mm. It's It's got a very popular notion that history does repeat itself. But if we kind of minimize history that, oh, the same thing's going to happen again in 100 years, that kind of minimizes the importance of the moment. I mean, we look at important moments in history, like uh, the civil rights march on Washington. That won't happen again. That's not going to repeat itself in 100 years. It might look a little different. Mm. Um, you know, the Black Power Movement can continue in a really interesting way. I'm writing a research paper right now about the Black Panther Party. Um, and Huey Newton and leadership dynamics and what the Black uh, Power Movement has looked like uh, for the past um, you know, bunch of decades. And you know, it may repeat itself in the sense that people are always gonna be resisting in different ways, but you know, it's never gonna look the same. So I've had a wonderful privilege of being able to look at history in a lot of different ways, see the similarities and also see the difference, differences. And I think what's been most interesting is just seeing how we've evolved and how intelligent so many human beings are, you know, from the bottom to the top, um, all, so many things that we build and so many things that uh, we've done have just been so interesting to learn. Um, and I think it gives a really wonderful perspective, just kind of a fresh perspective, especially being stuck in our homes right now. Um, I think diving into history is a great way to kind of gain a fresh perspective about what life was like, um, you know, hundreds or even a couple of years ago. Uh, so, yeah.
0: Do you notice in history a difference in how you think about it when a topic is framed geographically versus when it's framed topically? And I'm thinking about the difference in, you know, the coursework that you might do in a class that's about the history of the Pacific Northwest and the West, which is a geographic region and quite all-encompassing, versus a class that's about the history of a movement or a type of movement, a class that focuses on, let's say, I don't know, revolution across geopolitical units. How does that change the way that you you think about or approach the work?
1: Yeah, I definitely think there is a different way that I approach it. Um, geographically, um, it's easier kind of to divide it up and to see, okay, I'm going to go, like, I took a history of Chinese civilization course, Taking a lot of history over two years. Wow. It's <laughs> kind of a travel back for me. And we like go into the different provinces and see how all of them were different and how they were interacting as individuals. Um, but then when you look at something more topically and you really look at the historiography of it, like how, especially how scholars have written about it over time, if you look at a topical movement, you'll be looking at the historiography, how scholarship has been written about it what kinds of ideologies and methodologies have evolved, uh, as you go through it. So there's definitely differences. I personally like to look at movements. Um, mm-hmm. I like to look at things a little more topically. Uh, you know, geographic history is really, Im- is really important, especially if you're going to be a politics and government major. Sure. Um, that type of stuff is really, really awesome. And I think that can give a really unique lens into the present day. Um, Looking at geopolitical history is super interesting. But personally, I love looking at the dynamics that have mm-hmm. evolved and how other how other historians view history is really what interests me the most. i I want to know how other people view it and then how that can align with my views and how that can change my views because I think that challenges me most as a as an academic, um, just how we view different things that have happened.
0: Can you say a little more about what you mean when you say how historians view history?
1: yeah, of course. Um, uh, historians argue quite a lot about um, not only not only what's happened, and that's kind of interesting that historians argue about what's happened it's like hist- history really isn't just accepted as it is, um, which is which was kind of a weird thing to learn. It's like, wow, we have a history that has happened, but like we really only know maybe one or two perspectives. So in that sense historians can argue not only about how something has happened, but also about, um, you know, how a movement is defined. Again, I'm, I'm going to my research paper that I'm writing right now, but uh, Huey Newton, the leader of the Black Panther Party, he was viewed um, as a martyr, but also as kind of a drug-crazed lunatic towards the mm-hmm. end of his uh, role as a leader of the party, the Black Panther Party. Um, you can view him as kind of this incredible hero of community programs and survival programs. He taught self-defense. He really Uh, bred a social consciousness in Oakland and a lot of America and really mobilized millions and millions of black people that were um, repressed by America. Um, And that's accepted by a lot of historians, but others say you know, he cracked under the pressure, Uh, the FBI really got to him, the local authorities really got to him, he wasn't maintaining working relationship within his party, and he was actually quite detrimental to the health of his community. I mean, right after the Black Panther Party kind of dissolved through to 1980, it became what it was when Newton started, which was repressed, crime-ridden, and not a great place to live. So, um, and historians will always argue over about that. How do we remember this person, you know, when the good or a bad? Uh, So, yeah.
0: Well, and one of the striking things about the world in general is often the way that you interact with anything, a person, a movement, a concept, an object, an institution, And the way that you feel about it and see it has to do with your own experiences, your own intersectionality, your own perspectives. And so two people can have entirely different experiences of almost the same thing, of almost the same moment. And I think that's something to our conversation earlier about history having relevance to the present day that we're really grappling with in this moment, right? Is how do you understand that two people can come to the same thing with a really different experience of it? And then how do you act on that, right? Mm-hmm. When the the way that you go through the world is so inflected by your own experiences.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's probably that's one of the reasons why I like history so much. Um, it gives me an excuse to listen to other people's lives. Um, I think one thing I miss most about quarantine is listening to people. <laughs> just, just being in a room and listening to people and hearing them talk. Um, that's definitely one of the reasons I did history because i I believe especially now we all have such a unique experience of what's going on whether it be good or bad and I think it's incredibly valuable that after this it should not be forgotten. I think everyone should write about it. I think everyone should talk about it. I think it's important that we reflect and digest and really understand how it affected all of us. I think it's a chance to bring us together um, in a way that um, we won't necessarily get for a long time it's a, definitely kind of a big watershed moment and i think it's important we take advantage of it um so yeah
0: i realized the other day with kind of a jolt that i have become a primary source <laughs> and
1: <laughs> that's so interesting yeah
0: and you know of course i've been a primary source for my entire life but this does feel to your point like sort of biggest global watershed moment where living through it and having an experience of it will have continued relevance well into the future um and it It was striking to realize that and think about myself that way. I hadn't been thinking about it that way at all before as sort of the the larger scale historical significance Mm -hmm. of this moment in time.
1: Yeah, well, and I love primary sources. Um, so if, if if I could only write an essay on primary sources, I would. Um, and now
0: you are one. So and now I am one. So you know exciting. what?
1: Maybe I'll maybe I'll pull a a professor move and assign my future class my own <laughs> primary source. That'd be pretty cool, actually. That'd be a bit of a matrix type thing. <laughs> What do bakeries, industrial design, waterproof notebook paper, and investment management for cryptocurrencies have to do with each other? Hi, I'm Ryan Del Rosario, Assistant Director of Admission and School of Music Admission Coordinator. All four of the things I listed are businesses that were founded by entrepreneurial Puget Sound alums, and you can find out more at pugetsound.edu stories. Now back to PS, the Puget Sound podcast.
0: Sam, in addition to talking about history, which is your major, I want to talk to you about your music studies also for two reasons. One, it's actually kind of unique in the U.S. to have a liberal arts college with a music program that's at the quality of ours and to be able to do that kind of cross-pollination and focus in both of those areas. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about sort of how where you entered with music, what your background in music was pre-college, and then how your experience in the music program and the school of music has has evolved here.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, you're totally right. Our music program is upper echelon in the terms of other colleges. We were hosting a massive conference over spring break where we were going to play a, we were going to headline a performance of other college bands coming to our campus. Um, We were going to headline the performance and we had an incredible program plan. So we definitely have that traction. Um, We do kind of have that reputation, but As far as how I got to get involved in it, um, I played trombone ever since I was in seventh grade. Uh, I played euphonium, baritone uh, before that, but I uh, came into Buditz Sound with no intention to try out. (laughs) I said, you know, I'll just bring my trombone, let's see if there's a non-audition group, maybe I can get involved. Uh, it's a wonderful story. I get back from my backpacking trip for uh, first year orientation, mm-hmm. which was great that I got to go backpacking for my first week here. Just Had you ever dream. backpacked before? Nope. Hadn't backpacked before. <laughs> uh, got on an advanced trail and <laughs> uh, we, we we did all right. Um, apparently I got a good eight out of 10 from my leader on my backpacking <laughs> skills. So that was a nice little boost um, to my confidence. But we get back uh, to campus kind of late um, I crash on my bed, I'm tired, uh, and I kind of wake up in a daze at like 3.30 a.m. I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do tomorrow. Like, what's on my schedule? And I check my email, and I have an email from Dr. Uh, Maria Sampin, who's our violin professor at the School of Music, and she says, hey, we saw in your comment app you played trombone, we signed you up for a 9 a.m. audition tomorrow. And I and I was like, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, haven't pra- I haven't practiced in two months. Um, my <laughs> trombone's like sitting in the corner, not cleaned. Mm-hmm. I run into the music building at like 830, not like I don't have a place to practice. And I go <laughs> to the room and they're like, play something. And I did. And They liked it. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) they liked it and it was Dr. Hutchinson and our jazz director, Tracy Knup, who I really consider a dear friend of mine now. and they said, you sound really good, man. Go play for our director of the School of Music. And me, starstruck, is like, what? Uh, so I get in the elevator and I like do a couple fist bumps and a couple jumps and I dance. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is so great. I'm already here and I'm already playing for the director. Um, and I play for Dr. Gerard Morris, who, is, who was our director. We just hired a new director of the School of Music, Trace, Dr. Tracy Doyle who's going to change our program a lot. I'm really excited about it. But um, I I go up and I play for Gerard and he says, I sound great. And then he says, great, we're going to put you on lessons and you're going to join Jazz Ensemble and Wind Ensemble. And I'm like, oh my God, now I have 20 plus hours a week (laughs) 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 commitment. Um, And I now consider Tracy and Gerard very good friends. Of mine. I notice I'm calling them by my first names. You can call yeah. your professors by your first names if they let you. Um, but yeah, I, I now consider them really good friends of mine. So that's kind of my story of how I got involved.
0: I love everything about that story.
1: <laughs> it's definitely a fun one. I do tell it on when I give campus tours. I I always repeat it. So if you've heard it before, I apologize. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> well, and one of the things I want to maybe just emphasize that stood out to me listening to you tell that story is the community spirit of getting to those experiences, right? And certainly you could get to them, to our point about sort of diversity of experiences coming to the same point, a lot of ways. You could have also marched in and said, I really know I want to play the trombone and gotten yourself to that point. But what you just described to get you into the school of music and have you end up with a music minor Was three professors reaching out to you and encouraging and giving their time and saying, this is something that we really think would be a cool opportunity for you. That feels emblematic to me of my experience at Puget Sound and a lot of the ways that I hear other people talk about their Puget Sound experiences also.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a perfect example of how professors reach out um, to, I mean, I wasn't in any classes, even at that point, I hadn't taken a step into the music building. And I was already getting, um, I was already being reached out to. And then, you know, in the weeks coming, I was being supported. Um, I remember jumping in my first lesson, and I was like, wow. I've got a long way to go, but it was really exciting seeing um, people appreciate my talent. Um, Mm -hmm. In high school, a lot of people played an instrument. I didn't feel particularly special necessarily. Um, It was kind of just a hobby. Um, But coming into Puget Sound, I realized this is something special I have, and I can actually communicate a lot through my art. Um, And it opened up this whole new world for me that I'm so, so grateful I've been able to Um, you know, take part in. Um, But it really gave me a lot of confidence. Um, Professors believed in me, and I was able to make a lot out of my art. So yeah, very grateful that I was reached out to in that way. But I think all students will get reached out to in that sense. I really think that when you're at Puget Sound, you definitely, I mean, you mentioned it in your experience. I mean, it's definitely part of it. Um, You just get a lot of opportunities that are thrown your way and I mean, it's up to you to take them, but it's really, really wonderful uh, to get those.
0: Can you talk a little bit more, maybe in a little more detail about that evolution? How do you go from that 9 a.m. audition and then lessons to a music minor? Did, it, did that transition and sort of the, the belief in yourself that you just mentioned happen right away for you or was it gradual?
1: I think it definitely was gradual. Um, yeah. It definitely took me a while to get familiar. I think it always does. Um, I wouldn't say that you're supposed to feel comfortable in all your classes <laughs> and have your social groups and all that in college the first week. Um, it takes some time. And definitely for me, it was gradual, but um, the, it, was, it was the little moments along the way. I could I could see, I could could feel the excitement in other students, and I was meeting them in ensembles and really becoming uh, part of a wonderful community um, kind of early. Um so it was definitely a bit of a gradual, um, especially with my skill of playing has been, uh, it takes work. It definitely takes a lot of practice, uh, which is practice is something that I started to do because I didn't do it in high school. Um, but, um, yeah, I I just didn't. Um, but going into college, of course, it was, it was nice to be up on that other level. Um, it was definitely a big gradual for sure, but I really did. Uh, yeah, I, I, I I really, I've loved it every step of the way.
0: To shift gears a little bit, but not entirely, will you walk us through pre-coronavirus and distance learning, kind of what a week in the life is like? How much time are you spending in class? How much time are you spending in ensembles? What other stuff are you involved in? What does it feel like to live a, a regular chunk of time for you at Puget Sound?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I'm normally up 7.30 to 8.30 each morning. Um, I have 8 a.m.s on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I wake up the morning singing. Um, In my RL skills class, so that's always good. Um, And then I, on Mondays, I go into my history class. And then I kind of have, depending on when I'm working and giving tours, I kind of have time to study. Um, I also um, am part of Ultimate Frisbee on campus, uh, the men's Ultimate Frisbee team. Uh, We also have a women's ultimate frisbee team, uh, which is absolutely incredible. Love working with them all the time. Um, But I'm the treasurer for that club. So um, sometimes I get stuff done uh, intermittently through the day. So I kind of manage my responsibilities in that kind of limbo in the day on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Um, Sometimes I might have a music lesson. uh, And then I have wind ensemble from... Uh, I like to say 3 to 5.30 because I practice from 3 to 4 and then mm-hmm. 4 to 5.30. Um, and then on Monday nights and Friday nights, we, I, I, we have Frisbee practice from 7 to 9 or 8 to 10. Honestly, my favorite part of the day. It's mm-hmm. one of the things where I just get to release it all and be with my friends and be with the wonderful community and play a sport that I've kind of grown to love in college as I started. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of how my days look. I'm in class about anywhere from two to three and a half hours a day. Um, and then I'm ensembles for about an hour and a half to two and a half hours a day. Um, so in total, a lot of classwork. Um, if you're a musician and you have your other academic pursuits, all musicians will agree with me. You're in a lot of classes um i think technically i'm registered for nine classes Um,
0: holy smoke is that because ensemble and whatnot counts as a course registration
1: they do count as course registrations um so i love going to family gatherings and be like yeah i'm taking nine classes that's five more (laughs) than you're supposed to take Um, (laughs) uh, makes me feel real powerful Um, especially in front of all my younger cousins it's like yeah i'm the big dog here um but yeah definitely um in a lot of classes throughout the day And then I'm either ending the day at Frisbee practice, uh, doing a little bit of Frisbee scrimmage, or library. Library is where I end my days. Um, Honestly, Collins Memorial Library is a wonderful study haven for me. Um, So that's always kind of a good equalizer throughout the day. If I'm kind of in limbo, it's like, you know what? Why don't I just go to the library, sit down, get some work done, kind of just chill and relax. Um, And then intermittently, intermittently throughout the day, I'm always throwing a Frisbee around. Um, with the Frisbee community, um, because that's also a nice way to calm down. So kind of a jumbled description of what my days might look like. Um, But yeah.
0: Well, and outside of structured class time, how much work would you say that you spend on coursework and on academics independently?
1: Independently? um, Outside, I would say anywhere from uh, three hours a day plus, um, which sounds like a lot, but I really do love that time when I just have nothing and I just get to sit and work. Um, It feels like a lot of time, um, but it really isn't. It's really nice, um, especially when you're studying with people and you get in your groove. Um, But yeah, I'd say anywhere from three to five hours a day of outside class work. Maybe about an hour and a half plus per class um, is a good average in my mind.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, and I think the thing to remember too, with you saying that sounds like a lot is when you're in high school, you're pretty much in class scheduled from seven in the morning until three or four in the afternoon. And even for people like yourself who have a lot of scheduled courses or rehearsals or um, oftentimes science majors also are scheduled for labs in addition to lecture classes, it's often not a huge eight-hour block like that. And so you, I found for myself that I was able to work in that out-of-class studying and work time kind of throughout the day. So it was a very different experience than the high school experience of like, okay, I've been in school for eight hours and I have to go home now and sit down and do my homework in one more big block.
1: Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. I don't think, I think once I leave my house for the day, I don't really, or my, my um, I should say my suite, I don't go back until Mm -hmm. just about the end of the day because I just take my backpack and I go and I find times to study. Um, Definitely the routine is something I love. I love a good routine, love a good calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, After my, I think it was the end of my first year, my second semester, after my 10 a.m. history class, I would always uh, walk out at 10.50 go to the library, sit at the same table with the same three people, do the same work, talk about the same things. And then they were seniors, so I bought them lunch. Um, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of just got into that routine of going and doing the same stuff. And also, that's kind of how I built connections. Um, again, I sat with the same three people almost every single day. Um, they're upperclassmen, and I was a first year. And I'm like, oh my God, I get an opportunity to study with seniors. Um, but I mean, it's, it's really great. Um, that you have that time. It, it's definitely different than high school. In college, you have your own time and you make your own time, which is uh, a really, really awesome thing.
0: Now that you are closing in on the second half of your college experience, what are you looking forward to? What do you expect to have happen? What classes or experiences or internships are, are standing out to you as, as things that you expect to be highlights of, of the second half?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I'm excited to get into upper level classes, really dive into it. Um, uh, let's see. For next year, I actually am planning on studying abroad fall 20 or fall. Yeah, fall 2020. I'm planning on going to Serbia, Bosnia and Kosovo to study uh, peace and conflict studies, uh, study the Yugoslavian conflict, learn a new language, get a different perspective on what academics can look like outside of the United States. Um You know, barring that uh, not happening, I'm very, very excited for it. I get to stay with the host family um, and just experience abroad. Puget Sound has been totally supportive in it. I mean, the process has been super smooth. Um, As long as you give it the time of day, um, they support you in going so many different places and trying so many different things. So um, definitely encourage study abroad. But that's one thing I'm looking forward to. Um, If it doesn't happen, Um, I'm looking forward to being a junior on Ultimate Frisbee. Um, I'm looking forward to being an upperclassman and, you know, having that perspective and being able to lead a bit more, whether it's in my classes, whether it's in my clubs, whether it's in my ensembles. I'm looking forward to being a leader with kind of that perspective and that knowledge. Um, And I'm just kind of looking forward to growing into the future. Um, There's certain positions that I'm interested in in uh, fulfilling, you know, whether it's around campus or whether it's in my student groups, so I'm kind of interesting to. I mean, I'm interested in being that leader and just kind of having that knowledge and growing into um, an even more positive uh, person in the Puget Sound community. I believe every single person in our community is positive, and everybody does their part. I'm just looking forward to just continuing that and doing it in so many different ways.
0: What does that kind of upper class leadership? mean to you? I think there's sometimes this sense that, you know, juniors and seniors don't want anything to do with first years or that college is really stratified by those kinds of divisions. When you think about the leadership and the responsibilities and the opportunities of being a junior and being a senior, what does that look like to you?
1: Um I, I think it definitely it looks like a lot of different things. But uh, one thing I noticed when I came to Fuget Sound is that whether it was in music, whether it was in my classes, whether it was in, uh, frisbee, um, upperclassmen were always interested in talking to underclassmen. I never felt alienated or isolated. I, I, it really just kind of feels like one big family and one big community, uh, which is super awesome. And I think it looks like, you know, teaching good values, teaching the expectations of, uh, Uh, our campus, um, you know, what we stand for, and also um, teaching why we're such a beautiful community um, to upperclassmen and just kind of getting everybody involved in that kind of excitement is what part of being an upperclassman is. Um, I... I so look forward to meeting, um, underclassmen, especially incoming first years. I'm planning on being an orientation leader for the second time. Uh, so I can get a group of first years, take them outdoors, uh, just talk to them and get to know them. Um, it's definitely something I'm excited for. Um, I mean, again, whether it's modeling good academic behavior, um, and kind of tips and stuff like that, or whether it's just kind of, modeling what college can look like in all of our own unique ways. Um, I kind of think that's what upperclassmen do on Is they just, They're just they just part of the family, they're part of the community, and they provide just a lot of really useful insight and knowledge. And they still, I consider upperclassmen my first year, who have graduated, I still talk to a bunch of them. I consider them really, really wonderful friends of mine. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think they're just all wonderful people, so many wonderful people to get to know on campus.
0: Um, we end every episode by asking everybody the same four questions. The first question is, "What's your favorite place on campus?"
1: Oh God, okay. Um, <laughs> this is gonna This is gonna be tough. Um, I think I gotta give um, third place to the music building, my my haven. I spend a lot of my time there, of course. Second place, College Memorial Library. Um, I'd say Todd field, um, mm-hmm. Todd field is the big green field right in front of Todd fibs residence halls. Uh, it's where first years live. I mean, I'm out there. If I'm not out there studying, I'm out there throwing frisbee all day and avoiding certain responsibilities, which is always <laughs> great. Um, before I left for COVID, I was out there doing class, playing spike ball, throwing a frisbee. And I remember my a really wonderful memory is I was, uh, sitting kind of on Todd field at this angle where you can see Mount Rainier peeking over the buildings and it was sunny and I was just there with friends just kind of looking at it and taking it all in. So that place holds a lot of, it holds a special place in my heart for sure.
0: What are you reading right now?
1: Um, I'm rereading Catcher in the Rye. Um, I, I, I remember last Saturday I just said, you know, we're not going to do screens today. Um, <laughs> we're just going to take a break. And I kind of just read through Catcher in the Rye and, um, so, yeah, always worth a reread.
0: What's the best place to eat in Tacoma?
1: Um, this is kind of an interesting one. It's actually in Parkland, so I'm kind of going to break the rules. Um, okay. <laughs> but it's called El Pulgarcito. It is an El Salvadorian papusaria. Um They have, like, fried plantains with sour cream and beans. They have this super awesome coleslaw. They've got a lot of awesome El Salvadorian food. It's kind of a hole-in-the-wall place. Um, so, yeah, El Pulgarcito, wonderful, wonderful place to eat.
0: And lastly, Sam, why is Puget Sound special?
1: Um, it, it's it's the community. It's, I mean, I, I'm just so blessed to be a part of it. I think it really just takes you in and just kind of throws you into so many wonderful experiences Um, throws you into so much growth. I've met um, the most incredible people I've ever met on campus. Um, I consider um, so many people I've met you know, friends that I will remember. And I have so many experiences that I will cherish. And I think it's all down to the community, top down, um, bottom up professors, providing you support for your extracurriculars, um, getting the chance to know you and understand your interests. Um, but also, everyone on campus, it, it feels like a big collaboration, all of us together just creating uh, a wonderful time for each other.
0: Sam Kaufman, thank you for joining me on the Puget Sound podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Elena.
0: Thanks for listening to P.S., the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at univ, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for PS, the Puget Sound podcast.